Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm a feminist, but today I spent 20 minutes objectifying a handsome man on a WhatsApp group while we were in the room with him in a meeting. <laughs> My friend took a secret photo of him and shared it and we all agreed he was too handsome for business. <laughs> on our phones, while we talked seriously to his face. <laughs> I mean, Deborah Francis White, you, okay. This is meant to be a shame valve. Uh, that's true. And a safe space to loofer off. <laughs> loofer off? My worst What excesses. a terrible choice of words. Uh, it's my favourite choice of words. <laughs> it's an exfoliation of shame. And I leave the fragments in front of you. You are so vulnerable and brave. I'm a feminist, but I spend 98% of my time in life worried about the temperature of other women. Some highlights include... Oh, she must be freezing. Or how is she not boiling hot in that? I am judging women all the time by the clothes they wear in comparison to the temperature. Oh, really? So you look at a woman in the street who's in a hot dress, backless dress. Freezing. And you think freezing. Yeah, I just want to put a cardi on her. <laughs> or like people who don't take their jacket off of the tube, they're like, I'm only going to have to put it back on again. I'm like... It's 45 degrees. No. Take it off. I Let yourself breathe, woman. <laughs> as long as you keep it to yourself, it's fine. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but today, when I spent 20 minutes objectifying a handsome man on a WhatsApp group <laughs> while he was in the room, 
He looked at my phone briefly to read an important email and some messages popped up on the screen, <laughs> clearly describing him as hot Jesus. <laughs> and he saw them. To be fair, he does look like hot Jesus. That is so naughty. I'm a feminist, but when I recently Googled feminist issues, one of the top responses was best 25 feminist issues and ideas on Pinterest. Oh, and God. I thought, is this really what we've come to as the most popular way to learn about in-depth feminist issues through memes? And then I spent the next three hours in a feminist Pinterest rabbit hole. Quite good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a feminist, but today when Hot Jesus saw the WhatsApp messages and I had to explain to him in the tea break that we'd been secretly objectifying him and apologise, I also explained... That that it wasn't the equivalent of men objectifying a woman because the power structures of the patriarchy don't support our lust. And society doesn't prioritise cosmetic concerns for masculine people as much as it does for feminine people, so levity that reverses gender norms isn't as damaging. <laughs> and in fact, ironic, and so therefore, in a way, punching up. Which is an important part of satire which can reframe patriarchal structures. And he said... It's fine, and I saw your friend take a picture of me earlier because she accidentally left the flash on. <laughs> True story! <laughs> I just find that fascinating. Just having the nuts to go, he's hot, uh, probably take a photo of him. That's <laughs> so what she did. At a work meeting. <laughs> no, it's a function, it's fine. In the day... It was like in the day. It, it at night, in the, in the street, you could sort of go... People yeah. are media like, types. Media types. They're lovies. They love it. OK. Live from the Vault Festival in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminists with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Felicity Ward and very special guest Millie Thomas talking about mental health. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I am so cold. Just I can't so believe cold. you're taking... I'm just doing the whole show with my coat on. Yeah, I thought about it, but I feel like I'm going to get like a panic sweat at some point and that will keep me going for a little while at least because I've got a T-shirt on underneath this and my cardigan and a beanie. I'm also wearing leggings underneath my jeans. Oh, I haven't even... Oh, I thought... I thought sorry. <laughs> I thought my belt was hanging down because when I went to the toilet, it was hanging down. Before I went, oh, the last time you went to the toilet, you didn't do your belt up and I thought that had happened again. And I've also got Explorer socks on. What I'm saying is I'm always cold. I have standby gloves. I've got one thin, basically summer bit on and then a coat. So. And you've got stockings on. I don't go... Look, full praise to all the women of London walking around with just like a thin pair of stockings. Okay, like, can we just... Pause that and say, you're Australian. So when uh, Thank you, you. If anyone was not clear, this is not a local accent. No, I do need to clarify. In Britain, stockings mean stockings and suspenders. Oh. And I don't want my audience imagining that I'm sitting here with visible stockings and suspenders. She's ready we, to fuck. We, we call these tights. And then uh, you call them leggings. Yeah, because okay. what people have imagined is me in a miniskirt with stockings and suspenders... I'm a feminist, but... Na, 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 da, da. I'm a feminist, but I still like to feel sexy in front of my podcast crowd. <laughs> Wink! I mean, 
wear them under a skirt, but if they were visible to you, okay. I think... That... So they're tights, these are leggings. That's right. right. Yeah, well, I'm wearing tights. Who believes themselves to be the most, most lightly dressed person in this audience? Have we got any tough cunts in? <laughs> in a very real way. Yeah. Oh, up in the corner. A thin shirt and you're really warm. That feels like extra bravado and I like that in a feminist because that's the kind of thing a white guy would say. <laughs> I've just got a thin shirt on and I'm really warm. Fuck y'all, y'all. Um, uh, I've, I've added Fuck an extra y'all. y'all. Yeah, I've added an extra y'all. I have. That's how bravado oh That's how bravado is that white guy that I was doing is. Yeah. He doesn't say all y'all. He says, fuck y'all, y'all. And he doesn't apologise for it because his name's Brian. <laughs> You and are a nuanced lady, aren't you? So many levels. So, uh, Felicity Ward, today we're talking about mental health. Woohoo! This is a topic you've spoken about before. I mean, I have banged on about this so much. Like a mofo. Like a mofo, y'all, y'all. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, yes, I, uh, I am very mentally ill, <laughs> in case you couldn't. Tell and I started talking about it in 2011, 2010. I had a very tough year with it and got uh, diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder or GAD, as no one calls it. <laughs> and so I started talking about it very briefly then. And then in about 2015, I thought I would talk about that time of my life and self-reflect and that's when I started talking about IBS and anxiety and all of the topics that make you money and <laughs> gonna talk about my unpredictable bum hole. Listen, you laugh but it has paid for a small mortgage. Yep, that's a lie, I'm renting. <laughs> <laughs> it has paid. The boiler your... is on the blink. We had the British gas in today. I'm living on the smell of an oily rag. Um, I'm joking, I'm fine. together and welcome to the stage Deborah Francis White. Hello, hello, hello. So um, the thing is, on lots of days, I believe I have something between mental health issues and hangry. <laughs> I genuinely, this is what happens to me. I don't want to minimize mental health issues in any way, but it is a spectrum, isn't it? If you feel you have mental health issues, you can't say it at work. We live in a very weird society where someone says, oh, you, you were off last week. You are right. You could say, yeah, I had a really awful flu. Oh, yeah, I have this terrible back pain. It flares up. Every three months, I just get this horrible sciatica and I can't get out of bed. But you can't say you feel, oh, yeah, every three months, I get this terrible depression, can't get out of bed for three days. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm 100% mentally healthy. But if anyone claimed to be 100% physically healthy, I would say, well, obviously, you're lying. If you said, I've never had a physical health issue... That wouldn't be true. And I feel like a lot of my mental health issues could be boiled down to poor planning. Um, because <laughs> it's true. Friends and husbands of mine, they get hungry slowly over a period of two hours and in that time have time to plan to order, buy or prepare food. I am perfectly fine and then suddenly, without warning, am so hungry I could faint. 
and my brain goes into some kind of incredible overload. And the other night, Tom Selinski and I turned up to do a show, and it was a Room Above a Pub show. It wasn't being recorded. It was a sort of new uh, material night. And I got there, and I was so overworked and so overtired. I was preparing for this big Palladium show, and I'd been up since dawn, and I just had no time to eat, and I sort of grabbed a sandwich about 11. This is now 7 o'clock at night. And I was just suddenly, overwhelmingly, droppingly hungry, exhausted. I just completely overwhelmed myself. Tom said, I'm going to have to open the house in about, you know, 20 minutes. And I said, Tom, can you please just go downstairs to the pub and can you please order something off the menu? And he said, what? I said, I don't know. I don't know. You know the kind of things I like. You've been married to me for years. Just get something that I like. A salad or something, not a burger. And he went, I haven't been eating meat for ages. And he knows that. But I just reiterated it just in case he forgot. Because, you know, it's a good to shout, not a burger in someone's face in case they forget that. So he goes off downstairs to the pub, comes back and goes, there's only a burger menu. And I went, there isn't! You've made that up! <laughs> there isn't only a burger menu! There's lots of things! You know that there are! And he said, honestly, tonight they've only got a burger menu. And I went, I will go down and there won't be. Now, if he did that to me, even if he said to me, go down and check, and I came up and said, there's only burgers, even if he said in a nice voice, I'll go down and just check in case, I would accuse him of mansploring. <laughs> and as regular listeners of the podcast know, that is a thing. It's when a man goes to explore something you have already found out about because he does not believe your findings. He goes down to the pub. He says, oh, no, but they probably do have something else. They've probably got chips or they've probably got fish cakes. And then it's fucking annoying when they tell him they do. But anyway, so he comes back and he goes, look, I don't have time to go and get you anything else because I've got to do all the tech and open the house. And I said, well, I'll just faint then. And he said, or you could go and get yourself something. And I was like, fine, I will. I'll just go to prayer on my own. I'll just go to prayer on my own. And I'll just do some work. I'll prepare my set there, just at a table on my own while eating bread. Fine, fine. Not everything I was saying was logical. <laughs> it could have been presented as, oh, OK, then. Well, listen, you're doing this. I'll pop down to Pritt across the road in Camden Town, where I live, where I've been a million times before. <laughs> Knew exactly where it was. I'll go down. I'll get a table at Pritt. I'll do my set, and I'll have a salad down there, and I'll meet you back here in half an hour. That's what I could have said. But the way I said it was, fine, I'm going then. I'm going to Pret on my own. And I stormed over to the door and went, fine, goodbye. And I opened the door and there was a queue of people waiting on the steps because it was like unassigned seating. And I just opened the door having screamed at Tom. And because the thing is, I'd forgotten people come to see me now. Because <laughs> no, I've been years doing comedy and, and it's not, no one's been waiting on the steps for me. Like, I, they, they don't, like, I was like, there'd be like 30 people, but they'd be just milling in the pub. And so I was like, oh, and so I had to go and I had to change my face from hysterical, hangry, really unhinged to, hello, oh, nice to see you. And it was so embarrassing, it was so awful. And so I had to just kind of go downstairs and I thought, God, now they're going to know what I am. They're going to know that I'm not, I'm not always just somebody reclining on a chaise lounge going, I'm a feminist, but I am actually, actually unhinged. And I don't know if unhinged is an inclusive word. It isn't, it isn't. And as I'm saying that, I'm panicking. People are going to tweet me and go, don't say it's unhinged. It's just high anxiety and that's a good thing. It's positive. It's a way of stress leaving your body. I don't know what people are going to say, but right now I'm freaking out about what people are going to say about my anxiety to me and the way I framed it because they're going to say it reflects on their anxiety in the wider society. Do you see what goes on in my head? Oh, fuck. <laughs> and the thing is, it doesn't help that I live with a man who was so logical, there are times when I truly believe him to be a Black Mirror app. 
it's true, because he would just never do it. He would never do it. He would just say, oh, well, I'll go down to Pret-a-Manche then. That's the most logical division of labour. And he would never have a reaction to it. He wouldn't have an emotional reaction. The only thing he gets emotional about is logic. If somebody is saying something like, I don't know, water divining is a scientific practice, you see him get edgy. He starts going... <coughs> Literally, logic is the only thing he ever gets emotional about. Please don't write in to say you like water divining. I don't mind if you do or you don't. That's not my issue. Write to Tom Selinsky. But I really wind him up. Um, I compare myself to the man I live with and I come up consistently short because he is overly logical and overly sane and overly calm. And so I feel like I just need to get some reassurance from some other people. If you ever have an illogical pret a meltdown, could you just go, hmm? <laughs> Don't do it to patronise me. Just do it if you really do. Just everyone close their eyes. Okay, just go, hmm, if you have an illogical pret a outbreak. <laughs> just go, hmm, if you never have that. Just my husband. Um, <laughs> and here's the thing. The reason I share it with you is because I feel like we need to talk about it more. We need to be able to go to work and go, yeah, two days in bed last week because I felt incredibly depressed or I didn't go to that meeting because, you know what, I was, I was really overcome with anxiety, which is something I experience every now and again. Not all the time. I'm, I push through it. I have ways of functioning with it. I have sometimes it overwhelms me. And then I don't go to the meeting because I think if we started talking about it, the way that we speak about physical health, it would be better for everyone. So in that spirit, I'm going to tell you that my poor plan which overwhelms me at times to the extent that it feeds into my life and my emotional equilibrium and my mental equilibrium includes the fact that I am so behind with my washing because of the Palladium show and a book and other things. See, I feel I have to justify and tell you why I'm so, I, I'm so behind with my washing of my clothes that I have not worn pants for two weeks. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. I just to realise I could cut them out and I could just wear trousers or tights and I know that's not good for your vaginal health but there we are. Uh, sometimes your mental health is more important than your vaginal health briefly and so I just stopped wearing pants. I just thought I can't do this washing it's too much, there's knickers all over the floor fuck this shit, I'm just not wearing pants for a while. I'll pick it back up when the Palladium show is over. But the day of the Palladium show I thought fucking hell I'm going to be in dressing rooms, people are going to be coming in out, I've got a costume change, I can't not have pants on and, and just to be clear, if you are listening in Australia or America, I have not been walking around naked from the waist down. I mean, I've not been washing pairs of underwear or undies, okay, just to be clear. Anyway, so I thought, well, I can't go commando at the Palladium. It's a 2,200-seat venue. There have been many respected performers in there. I can't be the first one to just go out on stage commando like it just doesn't matter. Men will be coming in out of my dressing room. I just would prefer to be wearing pants. So I'm going to have to do some washing. And I steeled myself and I thought, you're going to have to do some washing. You will have to do some washing for the Palladium. So I went out and bought some pants. Thank you very much. You are my goddamn hero, Deborah. I bought three Marks and Spencers. That's five sets of knickers. I know it's not good for the environment, gang, but there are times when we have to compromise. I bought 15 new pair of knickers. That's two more weeks I've bought myself. It took me so long to figure out, because we travel a lot for work, we do stand-up, and I have toilet issues, so I pack a lot of underpants! But sometimes you're away for a while and you don't have access to a washing machine and you're, like, in the basin or you're yep. in the shower, you're like, oh, my God, it's the 1800s again! And it took me so long to figure out 
that if I was in an emergency situation, buy some I pumps. could buy some. It's actually just only dawned on me now. Okay, two things. One, our boiler broke four days ago. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, we don't have any hot water. That's not true. Uh, we have a power shower and our washing machine and dishwashers both have elements. And so I'm on my lacy undies. I'm wearing like way too sexy underpants for the occasion. Right, 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 right. You know, you're like, yeah. it's too cold for this. Yeah. You're wearing the sex drawers. Yeah, they're all, it's crotchless. It's crotchless not crotchless. All right, babe. The one you got for Valentine's that time you never dared wear. No. And now you're like, fuck it. No, I bought some nice undies. I was like, oh, they're nice. They match a bra. That's new. And, and so they're those, but they're like, you, you, you feel the wind all the way around. Right, good. All right, it's time to introduce our wonderful guest. Today's guest is an actor who you may have seen in the play Dryland or on Quacks on BBC Two or any other number of wonderful projects. She has also written several plays and TV scripts, including The Amazing Dust. Please welcome the ridiculously talented Melly Thomas! <laughs> She was in the crowd the whole time! So, Millie, you have a play uh, that you've already done and it's now coming out at Soho Theatre and it's called Dust. It's the story of a young girl called Alice who suffers from depression and decides to kill herself and she ends up stuck as a fly on the wall and sort of has to watch the consequences of that spiral out in front of her. But we're going to have a good time. (laughs) Not a shit time. It's a sort of semi-autobiographical piece because I've been working through (laughs) a lot of stuff. (laughs) 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 Sorry. I just... I found that funny. Um, But I... Uh, and so it was a play I'd wanted I'd wanted to make it for a really long time I was really scared because when I'm writing I know if I'm writing for me or not like I've written for myself before stuff to act in and then I've I write for other people as well and I'm always really clear when I start out which one it's going to be and I knew I had to do that one and so I had the idea about six years ago and just sat on it like, how nervous were you the first night that before you went on stage? Because I remember when I'd started writing the toilet show. I call it the toilet show. It was called What If There Is No Toilet, so it's not like a crazy thing to call it. Um, but I remember going to a new material night and I was side stage and everyone's like just getting up there and I'm about to do 10 minutes of irritable bowel syndrome and anxiety material. I'm like, I mean, you better love this material, mate. You better love it. But it's so liberating, isn't it? Like, the feeling coming off. Like, I... Going on, I think... Everyone had said, oh, have you eaten? And I was like, oh, yeah, because normally I'm just, like... I panic eat. Some people can't eat when they're stressed, but I overeat. I have to eat all the sugar, like, all of it. Stuff I don't even like. If it's there, I need to eat it. Put it in my mouth, like a pen, whatever. I'll have it. And I... I was so anxious... I had an espresso and I don't drink coffee. Oh, I'm um, so sorry to hear that. I mean, it was stressful, guys. I thought I'm going to be sick. Like, I don't actually think I can go out. And then when I came back afterwards... Because it felt like... Because my parents were in as well for the very oh. first... I know. And they came to the first show? They came to the first preview. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then I came off, you know, full of adrenaline. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank fuck I got through it. And then, you know, there's my dad, like, hunched over in an alleyway, like, oh, my God. <laughs> Did they know it was autobiographical, your parents? Yes. They do now. 
They do. No, they did. They did. And like, it was sort of, we're not really a talky family. You we're a kind of... the kind of family that puts on a play about your emotions. Yeah, we're a... And about... the rest. <laughs> I've got a six-week run at the Soho oh, Theatre, Mum. Uh, we are just, a very... Did you talk to your parents about it? No, I no, have I an artistic expression. <laughs> uh, my brother does interpretive dance when he's not feeling well. And uh... Guys, I appreciate it's the most middle-class thing I've ever said, I literally. <laughs> no, I could have no, no. called my mum, but instead I wrote a play. No, so no, I, I, there are I just, I plenty of working class people who've had exactly that same response. It's just a sort of way of a human expression, isn't it? It's just sort of a way of actually slightly taking it outside your body and making a piece of art out of it. I know things, big things have happened in my life. It's been so helpful. When I was finding my biological mother, it's hard for other people to realise sometimes if this is your medium for coping, actually it can be the most wholesome thing that you can do to make yourself whole and to document it because I always think if something sad happened when I was finding my biological family I'd always go that's good because the show needs pathos <laughs> do you know what I mean like I'd find like it was well I was turning it into something I'm milking my own life for disaster yeah but it's... I think I found myself in a place where I'm like where anything happens you're like okay that's fine I'll pop that in there in yeah. the folder and for later. And it could be so... I mean, for some people, maybe it isn't healthy, but I, for me, I'm not saying that's everyone's experience. Oh, God, no, please don't do that. No. <laughs> don't, but don't go looking for it. No, 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 no. But I want myself up. No, but I think for me, not everybody who has a traumatic experience, is it healthy for them to turn it into art? But I, for me, it is very, very useful. I very much dealt with everything that was in these shows. I sought outside help for first, or I made sure there was... This is just my experience. Because I remember watching your show, I think maybe in Melbourne. It was so riveting and so compelling. And then you're like, we're meeting up next week. I'm like, what? Why am I not seeing the show next week? Like it was so it was so visceral and so real. And if that was happening to me, I don't think that I could have the space to process it properly in a way that I could make it into something coherent. It would be like, here are all my it, feelings. It, it was like scaffolding for me, but I put the show away for a year and a half and I got it out to tour it and I got on a train to Oxford and I just hadn't been able to look at it. And I thought, I'll just watch the recording. I'd made it into a DVD and I was watched the recording of myself doing it. And I'd, I got on the train and I thought, I've only got an hour to watch this, so I'm going to go and do the £10 upgrade and do the first-class thing because it was the weekend, so I can just be on my own because I thought no one else was going to be bothered to do that for a one-hour journey. So I got on, opened the laptop, started watching this show of me talking about finding my biological mother, and I wept like a baby. I was just like... (gasps) and (gasps) And the conductor came down to charge me for the ticket, looked at me, and I was in front of this iPad going, <gasps> and, and he went, oh, it's, it's fine, it's fine, and went on. So I did get a free upgrade out of it, but I had to say to the audience, what's happening to my body? I know what's happening. There's all this trauma I've been carrying, and I'm fine now, everyone's fine. I don't have to look after my birth mother or my mother, or I don't have to cope now. And so my body is releasing the trauma. I'm absolutely fine, but just you might need to be aware I'm going to cry through the show at inappropriate places. And I did. I cried through punchlines that were not sad at all. And at the end, the whole audience came out and hugged me. It was amazing. Um, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. Just the absurdity of like... (laughs) And then he said, why the long face? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it was. Amazing. That's exactly what it was. And it was trauma coming out of my body. And what it made me realise is how much trauma we carry. Yeah. That it only came out because it had to. 
Then the next night, I cried in a few appropriate places, but in a controlled way. And then the next night, I was in Brighton, where people were literally heckling, when's the drag act coming out? And I just was just an uproariously funny show. I just released it all. How much do you think, when people come to see your show, Millie, that it's a release for them if they've had a similar experience? Do people contact you and say, this is a helpful show to see? Yeah, I mean, it was a kind of mad Edinburgh, really, like, in terms of by around, like, a week in, people were contacting me, like, I'd say three or four times a day, and then stopping me in the street to talk to me, which was mad. And then also, I was suddenly so aware that I'm not a trained health professional. And also, I'm kind of, you know still in the throes of stuff myself. I mean, that's the thing I find, is that I feel like now we're in a time where it's, like, totally cool to put your hand up and say, hey, I went through this, it was awful, but I got help, and here I am. But it doesn't still feel safe, personally, for me, yet to say, or for people I know, friends of mine, to put your hand up and say, hey, I'm in the middle of something really scary. Who do I contact? Where do I go? And do I, do I still have my job? Like, please. So we work with the Samaritans from the beginnings. They're a charity I have a lot of time for. They've saved my life twice. Big fans. They help me word advice because they don't, you know, they can't offer... Sorry, no, the opposite. The opposite of what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) They can't offer advice, but they can offer support. Sorry, that's really crucial and key. They do not (laughs) offer advice. They don't give anyone advice. Do do you want to take it again for the edit just in case? Yeah, because it's funnier. This version's funnier, but I want the editor to have the option in case the Samaritans say we're not allowed to release that. Of course. (laughs) The Samaritans said they don't care about people. (laughs) And they just hung up on me. The Samaritans said, never call us. Like, oh, I'm busy. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why he's They're like, you sound whiny. Call me back when you're not so whiny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your life's great. I always leave at six rings because I don't want to seem desperate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, right, okay. For the edit, Tom Slinsky. Mm-hmm. So the Samaritans helped us draft a response because they offer support. They can't offer advice, but they can offer support and a friendly ear. And I think that's very much where I'm in the position because when people do contact me and and all I can give is stuff that's worked for me but this is the thing mental health is a spectrum and like I've really pushed the boat out tonight I bought some jazzy earrings from Topshop because I've been in my pajamas crying for a week so today I was like I'm gonna look nice yeah I'm gonna wash my hair so I'm gonna jazz these tears up with some dangly earrings. I know. So I totally hear that. I totally hear that. And sometimes I feel like a performance of sanity, if that's inclusive language. Um, sometimes I think, well, if I dress up as if everything's all right and leave the house, it's a bit like an actor starting with the shoes. Fake it till you make it, mate. Yeah. Fake it and till but, you make but it. But playing actually more than that, playing a character. If I put on the boots of somebody who is living the life, then my body... Not having a breakdown boots. (laughs) Exactly. I literally have a jumpsuit that's my you're not going to cry today jumpsuit. Yeah, great. That's like, I have it, it's there, it's always ready because it's always like pressed and I'm like, okay, if you wear this this meeting today, please don't cry. (laughs) Yeah, that's... There's such a a balance between like... I want to be my authentic self. I want to feel these feelings. But also, when you have a mental illness, sometimes you just need to act your way to good feelings. Like, I'm lying in bed and I don't want to get out of bed, but I say, all right, you don't have to go to work today, but let's cut a deal. 
how about a shower? I'm like, I don't want to do a shower. I'm like, let's just do the shower and then you can go back to bed. So then you have a shower and you're like, I actually don't feel as shit. And then you're like, all right, breakfast. How do you feel about breakfast? I'm like, I hate breakfast. I'm like, okay, obviously you hate breakfast. How do you feel about having some though? And then it's like this cutting your deal. And then once, often once I'm out of the house, I don't feel as depressed. I don't feel as hopeless. And weirdly, doing gigs, only occasionally, doing gigs, because I see performing as an act of service, because I'm doing it for other people, I'm not doing it for myself, it takes me out. I can't just sit there and go, I had a really bad day. Like, I can't just do that on stage because my job is to tell jokes. So it gets me out of listening to the repetitive negative right. thoughts, which is part of anxiety as well. I have the well. same deal with myself for yoga. If I'm feeling that bad, I'll go, you don't have to do yoga. You're just going to watch it. And I put a video on. But one thing leads to another. How do you guys feel about therapy? Because I have to confess, on this podcast in the past, I told two stories as stand-up comedy, which is my job, and I'm allowed to you know, find things funny and turn them into art. And No, you're not! Well, I've done it. <laughs> Fuck you. And uh, so I did two stories on a recent episode where I had bad experience with psychotherapists. And then Roisin Conaty said, well, I have a great therapist and it's like dating. You need to find the right one. And I'm like, who's got time to date therapists? But overall, I thought the message was, yes, a good therapist is brilliant. But quite a lot of people wrote to me and said, hey, either your therapists were not great and they shouldn't have spoken to you that way. But also some therapists said, hey, please tell people there's good therapy out there. And that's an important thing to do. So firstly, I need to add a caveat. I had bad experience with two therapists, but therapy can be awesome. But I've only found one therapist that's helped me, and that is my challenge. So I'm going to very briefly tell you about that. Mm. I found someone who runs something called The Mindful Place. Um, and he's a chap called Philip. And I met. He's, he's a birthday party friend. Do you guys have birthday party friends? So your friend... I don't even have birthday parties. (laughs) I'm joking. Your friend's birthday, you see the same people every year, but you only see them at that friend's birthday, right? Birthday party friend. So at my friend's birthday, I would see this guy called Philip every year, adored him. But one time I met him and I said, you're really different. Because he was kind of like, you know, metropolitan, guy around town, sort of bit like fancy know. was he fancy this is fancy but so he was just like you know he had that kind of london edge snazzy quite fun quite you know ironic all of that but one time i saw him and he had this incredible zen and i was like wow you're so calm and you're so zen what's happened to you and he said well i've started doing this kind of therapy and i've actually started practicing it and i was in a bad place this was a few years ago i was in the worst place i've ever been in so i thought look worst case scenario i support philip's business best case scenario he cures me so <laughs> But I went quite cynically, thinking, probably not going to work on me. But I found it was incredibly releasing. And I think it's really psychologically sound. He basically listened to me, and then he got me to do quite a lot of visualization. And he also got me to repeat after him, like wedding vows. He didn't secretly marry me without my permission, not that. (laughs) I say my issue with somebody else. He was like, I release that person from my projections and in turn release myself from their projections to me. And I let them go with the energy and the light and the, I don't know, something else brilliant, better than that. And uh, I had to say that after him. And at one point he said, it was basically like there was an umbilical cord between me and this other person. And he said, I'm going to cut, I could see he was going to cut the cord. I knew what he was going to do. And I was like, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And I really was ready. Like I needed to let go of it. It was toxic. I started to cry 
because I felt like I could see someone else was going to cut the cord and I was going to be cut from this other person. And I was like, <gasps> and I was like, oh my God, I'm crying. This is ridiculous. But he cut the cord and I felt it happen. I felt myself release. And it was absolutely amazing. And then I found out that half the female comedians in London were going to see this guy. And he... Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, at, he runs a place called The Mindful Place. I, I mean, you, you can't see everyone in the world, but he is, I think he's getting a book and an app and things to, you know, to, he's to, getting to help. He's some more business after this. Well, well, no, but it's, it is useful. If he, I've said to him, can, you, can we have a book and an app and stuff? Because you can't see everyone, but it is useful for many people I know. So many people have found it very, very helpful. You know, no one therapy is for everyone, but I wanted to tell a positive therapy story. And I really do believe in the powers of Philip and the Mindful Place because it's worked for me and a lot of people. But he's incredibly intense. Not in a bad way, but he just gets very still when he's focused on you. And I had a Skype session with him the other day and I thought the screen had frozen <laughs> because he was so still listening to me. And I went, are you still there? And he went, yeah. And he moved. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. I was sort of You started like screen. picking your nose and oh, doing... I was more like flicking the screen going, is anyone... But he's so calm and he's just still because he's focused on me at that point. And I have found that very helpful. So that is my challenge, to find therapy that worked for me and to make a commitment to go more regularly to see him. And I have done that, and I am really happy to tell you that it's really helped me. At the end of last year, I was very overworked, and I had not had a holiday for too long, and I started having terrible panic attacks, like just choosing an outfit to go out or something like that, and suddenly thinking, fuck, I'm five minutes late for this appointment, I'm 10 minutes late for this appointment, I'm 15 minutes late for this appointment, and I was having terrible panic attacks where all I could do was breathe very shallowly and repeat myself over and over. It's a really weird thing that happened to me, and I would just start going, I've got nothing to wear, 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 and I would breathe very shortly, and it was just an awful, awful thing. And so my commitment to myself after I received emails from people saying, hey, therapy does work, I listened to the listeners and I went, you know that you had one good experience with a therapist. Why don't you go back and seek that out? And I did. That's really, really helped me. So I'd like to say thank you to Philip Kidson at The Mindful Place. And I know not everyone can afford private therapy, so hopefully he will come up with books and apps and things that are very, very accessible. And also thank you to the listeners for reminding me that therapy could be really helpful and I have really changed my relationship with therapy since hearing that feedback. So thank you very much to the Guilty Feminist listeners. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Look, I have mental health issues. <laughs> what? No, stop it, shut up, it never gets. Anyway, and the nature of mental illness can be, uh, I can be quite up and down, so every night my husband gets to play a game called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? <laughs> Even when he wins, he loses. I, um, I have anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression, God must have thought you were too beautiful. Okay, go fuck yourselves and... <laughs> and I'm very controlling. Part of that is controlling. I'm addicted to controlling. I get called controlling a lot and people say it's like it's a bad thing. I just like results. <laughs> like even my therapist said to me, Felicity, you keep trying to control uncertainty. And I said, thank you. <laughs> and I said, do you have any negative feedback to me? And she said, if you keep going like this, you're going to be classed as a micromanager. I'm like, a manager? <laughs> I have never had a promotion before. <laughs> I like being a part of the mentally ill community. I like it. I don't mind people knowing. Obviously, I dress myself. Uh, <laughs> I look like actual sherbet. I look like... But here's the thing. I don't even... And this is a bad thing to say. I'm absolutely going to get tweets about this. I don't mind the stigma of mental illness. You know how there's all these campaigns, they're like, fight the stigma, fight the stigma. I don't mind the stigma because if people think I'm unpredictable, it gives me the space to decide whether or not I'm going to take my meds. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm not on meds. Surprise! <laughs> I've done lots, lots of things and I will go to any length for my recovery if it's easy. I will do anything if it's easy. I ran into a friend of mine and she looked amazing. She looked really healthy. I'm like, oh, my God, what have you been doing? And she said, Felicity, I went to a dietician. I said, go on. She said, they ran some tests. I'm like, I love tests. Go on. <laughs> she said, all I had to do was cut out wheat, dairy and sugar. And I said, you lost me at cut. <laughs> Absolutely no interest in changing my lifestyle. I'll do quick fix things. I'll do loads of that. Well, swimming isn't a quick fix thing. I've talked about that on the podcast. I swim for my mental health. I've been to therapists for my mental health. I've done a, I've listened to a self-esteem hypnosis app, which is exactly as awesome as it sounds. It is an app that is supposed to hypnotise you into having better self-esteem. And I'm sure we all have the same question here. How can something be good for your self-esteem if it makes you feel worse just by saying it out loud? <laughs> I go to yoga regularly, like I can't function unless I'm doing it once every five years. And <laughs> I'm basically addicted. And But recently, I think it was last year, I tried hot yoga for the first time and it was, it was pretty good. Only criticism, a little bit hot. 
It's, I mean, it's 40 degrees. That is not an exercise temperature. That is a bushfire warning. Uh, if you haven't been to hot yoga, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's stretching with a group of strangers in the flames of hell. <laughs> I've gone to yoga for a long time and they use very confusing language. You kind of need a little glossary when you go there because they use code words so you don't actually know what they're talking about unless you've gone a couple of times. Like the phrase dynamic pose actually means very fucking painful. And the phrase chavasana means you get to have a sleep at the end of the class. Oh, I love chavasana. It's the only time that many adults sleep in the same room together outside of prison. I wish, I wish they did a class that was just chavasana though. Like, wouldn't you pay for an hour of sleep in the middle of the day? And you could still get active wear and like walk around and then you go to your friends, you're like, sorry, I've got to go to my chavasana class, namaste. And they would think that you're exercising when actually you're just getting away from them. I have two beefs with yoga. I got two beefs. The first one is their most popular pose, the downward facing dog, or as I like to call it, the dog. It's just the dog. Because if you, if you have an upward facing dog, you don't do yoga, you call a vet, yeah? You call a vet. And my other beef is that yoga is actually a very bigoted practice against people with big noses. Because every single class, there'll be a moment where you're in child's pose, you're on your knees, and then you sit up and they go, oh, there'll just be some like flaky, wafy little spirit leader at the front. <laughs> and you know, her name's Kata Khan. You're like, you were born, Rachel, come on. <laughs> we, we know. Um, my name's Diamond, okay. <laughs> and she'll say, all right, everybody, just pop your foreheads on the mat. you've got a dorsal fin coming out of your face, you can't just casually pop your forehead on the mat. You've got to fold it to the side or you've got to squish it down. Take strategy. It's the same with drinking champagne when you have a big nose. If you see people with a big nose, know that a champagne flute strikes fear in our hearts. Because you can't just casually drink it. You've got to make a choice. A very deliberate choice. You either... Some big nosed people know what I'm about to say. You have to put it on the inside of the glass, stuff it in, and then take tiny little sips. Like it's your first day on the planet and you never worked a cup before. Or you have to put your nose on the outside of the glass and then throw your entire head back like a chafe bag. It's true. It's true. So here's the thing. I don't like walking past construction sites, right? I, that's not a new idea. As a woman, I don't like walking past construction sites for obvious reasons. Number one, they yell something out. Or number two, they ignore me completely. <laughs> Awful stuff. Like, theoretically, someone yelling something out 
It feels silly to be afraid of that, except what we do in our heads, you all know this, we play it forward where it could end. And statistically, that's an assault. That's statistically where it could end, and that's why we get afraid. And I've asked all my friends, and they all have exit strategies of how they would get out of an attempted assault. I've got two, don't be jealous. Um, (laughs) Use one if you need one, take two if you're greedy. The first one is uh, to say, if I'm approached by an attacker, is just to say, I've got hepatitis. <laughs> Don't give them a letter in case they've done any kind of research at all. <laughs> I'm just assuming that most of them are idiots. You're like, I've got hepatitis. Because, uh, like, you can say any disease. I mean, don't panic and say something weird like scurvy. Don't, like, I've got scurvy. Have an orange, you'll be fine. Like... <laughs> Don't say scurvy. I should stop saying scurvy because then if you ever get in the situation, you're like, what did she say a lot of? Scurvy, I've got scurvy. What are you, a fucking pirate? And then the second thing that I'm going to do is just act as absolutely mental as I can. Like if they come towards me, I'm just going to go... Because you can't look at that and maintain a boner. You can't, you can't look at this and get rock hard. And if you can, you've got a stronger constitution than me. A couple of years ago, I made a documentary in Australia about mental illness and we spoke with this incredible group who worked with construction workers and I found out there the construction workers in Australia are six times more likely to die of suicide than any other work-related injury. Six times, which was a devastating statistic and a statistic that now puts me in a very uncomfortable position if I ever walk past a construction site again. Because if they yell out, show us your tits... As a feminist and a mental health advocate, I don't know who I'm supposed to be defending in that situation. (laughs) Like, I want to look after myself and all women, but I don't want to push him over the edge, (laughs) literally or figuratively. So now what I'm going to have to do is if I walk past and they yell out, show us your tits, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, I respect myself and my body and all women and I know that this is a cry for help and I hope you get the support that you deserve. In the meantime, here are my tits. <laughs> and also, and then I'm going to run off. I will finish on this. Um, in, the last, uh, in the last decade, there's been a big rise in numbers of depression and also in female alcoholism. And what we do in most of the Western world is we treat them separately when actually I think there is a solution in bringing them together because the foundation of depression is low self-esteem, right? So I think everyone who has depression should be given a government-issued drunk girl from a nightclub toilet <laughs> because who is more supportive than a drunk girl in a nightclub toilet. You can just be washing your hands and then out of the darkness you just hear, I fucking love your dress. (laughs) And your tits look amazing. Where did you get your dress from? Primark, shut up you go from Primark. Your, your hair smells pretty. <laughs> because often when you, when you have mental illness, your brain wakes up five minutes before you do, so you wake up to the thoughts of, you're a piece of shit, you can't get out of bed, you can't go to work, that's already going. That would be so much more manageable if that was followed up by someone rolling over in bed next to you going, you're not a piece of shit. You are what angels see when they look in the mirror. <laughs> 
And if you don't want to get out of bed, you don't have to get out of bed. We could just stay here. You don't have to go to work. We could have a few drinky plinkies. We could just scroll through Instagram and stalk your ex-boyfriends. You got skin like a bowling alley. And it's not like we would have trouble getting volunteers. That would be the easiest press conference of all time. The health minister just getting up at the podium and going, uh, look, I know this is a lot to ask, but do we have any volunteers, any women at all, willing to get drunk and give opinions? Do we have any, <laughs> any British women that are willing to do that? And then those women that you ride off on a Saturday night with their shoes in their hand, a broken phone in the other one, screaming out to their friends, crying, Grace! You just usually go, oh, it's your Saturday night skank, it's your classic, not anymore. They'd be doing a civic duty. They'd be like war heroes roaming the streets. They're like, I'm a major now, major legend, yeah. I'm gonna do a piss in the gutter. I pay Felicity Ward. There you go. Millie, have you had any therapy that's been helpful? Yes, I have. I go regularly, all the time. But it's taken a really long time to find someone I like and someone who I feel can be helpful to me. I mean, just for balance, I went to the mindful place and... I felt infuriated by it because it doesn't work for me, but then it works for a whole bunch of other people. And this is the thing, because I knew that half the female comics in London were going to this amazing guy. And I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm going to leave and 28 years worth of baggage will be gone. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen to me. And it didn't. And I felt very, I just remember like fury eating a bag of mini eggs on the tube, just being so angry <laughs> that I hadn't cured my own depression in a day. <laughs> In one session. Why is it? They're still there. Very There's, reasonable expectations so too. Reasonable. Like I, I fucking hate myself still, and I, I lay down and everything. I, I lay on a bed, but like I, yeah, I go once a week. Someone said something to me. I was complaining about my life and all the things that I don't want to do to fix it. <laughs> And it was all, you know, really super obvious stuff that changes I could make for myself, but actually couldn't be asked to implement them. And this doctor was like, oh, yeah, it's just time, right? And I was like, yeah, it's time. And he goes, oh, yeah. Because thing is, if you don't make time now, you're going to have to make time later to be very sick. And it was really just like, Ooh. I remember like feeling it and thinking, oh, he's right. <laughs> like either way, I could be it's going to wrestle me back into bed. And I've, I feel like I've just got out. Like, it's fluctuated, it's come and gone. I've had periods where I've been not great and I feel like it's sort of constantly there. And I'm high functioning, which is the, you, you feel like you can hide because you can still be the life and soul of the party. And that is very misleading for people. So in that sense, therapy is really important, especially if you feel you have to sort of put a front on for work and especially if you're creating stuff, you're creating stories and narrative and any kind of like material, I suppose. I do think it is important to have somewhere to be able to take stuff that is painful for you because I'm very glib about dust being like me working through all my issues because I can be glib about it because I made it. But 
at the end of the day, there's actually a real duty of care there. And it would be so super irresponsible. Like, it is a story. It isn't, like, I'm not, I'm not dead. <laughs> it's not, it didn't happen. Like, yeah. it's, all, it's all a fiction. It's all a fantasy. Like, I'm it's glad a, you've said that, because we're in a really <laughs> spooky vault. <laughs> And there was a moment when you went, I'm not dead. And I went, this is a movie. Oh, God, there's a twist. She is dead. And I am Bruce Willis. Does He's that make haunting. me Hayley Joel Osment? No. He's haunting this show. <laughs> it does make you Hayley Joel Osment. Um, I love I'm Tony Collette. <laughs> have you had success with therapy? Flip? I have, repeatedly. There was a counsellor that I saw once uh, when I first had the IBS stuff. And I went and I told her. And I was like... Basically, what happens is um, I've just my anxiety is just feels like it's like really high, and I get on stage, and I, this is kind of embarrassing, but um, I just feel like I'm going to wet myself on stage for the entire time that I'm on stage, and sometimes I have panic attacks, and I want to run off, and I see the exit sign, and my brain's like, you should run to the exit sign, and I like laid out my heart to her, and she went, ooh, that sounds awful. What have you been doing? <laughs> I was like, ah! and I never heard, saw her again. And then I've seen two incredible women, one in Australia, and I've seen one uh, therapist here through the NHS. I've seen her twice. She changed my life. I love her. I'm very sad she doesn't do private sessions. But, yeah, I've had very positive experiences with therapy. I meditate, I swim. It's all the boring bullshit. Oh, one thing that I will, yes, I will plug boring. that temporarily worked, and I was so shocked it worked, and it felt like a really quick fix. I think but, I know guys, what you're going to say. I'm just going to share... So I went swimming in the Hampstead Ladies' Pond. I didn't want to go because I hate being cold. And to me, that's the actual idea of hell on earth. And a friend was like, I've read about this. You should go. You should try it. And it was no skin off my nose to try it. But obviously, I was at home feeling sorry for myself. So I was dragged there kicking and screaming and sort of essentially unceremoniously pushed into this pond. And it was like... What jolts you out of your current state? Oh, my state. God. It was so amazing in a kind... I felt like I felt like I joined a cult and it was brilliant. And I haven't been back. <laughs> I don't think that's the <laughs> definition of a cult then. No. <laughs> I was addicted. I never cult. went again. <laughs> like, I literally... I'm addicted in my head. I tell everyone I'm addicted because I want that feeling again. But, like, I won't go because the mini eggs are at home. So, like, oh. I, that's the thing. I just need to... If anyone can figure out the nut of willpower, please, like, let me know. Do you know what I found with this? For years, I had to sort of really work myself up to do physical exercise because I was always focusing on the before bit. And I just basically took myself to yoga because I used to focus on how I would feel after. That is and, never enough for me. Um, well, no, but I did it a long. I did it for enough times that now my body takes me. My body demands it. But it took years and years and years. Like, not years and years and years. It took about three years of me taking my body to yoga for my body to take me. But it's so worthwhile. That is so worthwhile. <laughs> no, Flick and Millie are both. If you're listening at home, shaking their heads yeah. and being like, "Mini I've, eggs and yoga." I've been swimming for three years. I've been swimming for three. I mean, I swam before that, but I've been swimming laps regularly for. three three years and still every time I'm like but I don't want to go swimming I hate swimming you hate being wet you get wet hair and then you've got to go out into the cold yeah. and then you get even colder and then you get sadder we shouldn't go at all every time wow every time I walk everywhere though like that is one th because yes. I don't exercise I literally don't I'm I'm really I'm just a, a terrible like oh my god I forgot I told everyone I was an actor if any casting directors are listening 
I gem. <laughs> I gem. I cannot, te- I, I cannot tell you enough how much swimming changed my life. I fucking hate it, but it, I know, I know. I hate it. I, I hate know. it, Fleck. I hate it so much. I go somewhere, it's like a public pool and it has a sauna. So I go into the sauna and I get really hot and then I have an ice cold shower and then I have a hot sauna and then ice cold shower and then hot sauna again and then when I'm so hot I know I can't get pool rage so then I get slow and I'm like, hey, they're all just doing their best. And once I'm in there, then I have underwater headphones. I've done stand-up on this show about it. I mean, I have... Sounds like you should be going to torture garden. Oh, <laughs> actually, sounds like masochism to me. Yeah, it is. But it's like it's the difference. Like, do I want to live or not? Like, that's that's you, what it comes down to. That's wow. how I feel about walking. What you've just described to me is like nightmare fuel for yeah. me. I have to listen to like shit pop music. I can't have any like lyrics that are actually good or mean yeah. anything. It, I don't want to let the words in. <laughs> so I need like. Naughty's Britney when she didn't have a clue what she was doing. Mm. Like, I need that. I like, find that to... a hurtful statement, actually. I no, feel like, I mean, God. I feel like Toxic was incredible. Oh, don't even. Like, Britney, Britney's my spirit animal, but like... Just sounds like you're being a bit disparaging no, about I'm not being someone that's helped that... you in a time of need. Controversially, I prefer the later stuff. So I think that having a mental illness is a challenge enough. So I didn't do a challenge, but my friend gave me this poem when I was having a really tough time and I've had a really bad week. I've cried a lot this week. So if I do cry again, I apologise. But if I could appropriate this in my life, I would love it. I don't, but I love it. And the poem is called The Guest House and the writer is called Rumi. His full name is Jalal Adin Muhammad Rumi. And this is the poem. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honourably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. It's the poem. You don't have to clap. It's not like, sorry. I don't, I don't, sorry. I don't clap to get, I'm not... Like, I'm not crying to get to be poignant or anything like that. No, no, no. I just had a I cry week. all the time on the show. I have cried so many times. I so cried at the Palladium. Because I'm cry- I'm I'm you're a pussy. No, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> This is... Do you know what this show does do well is manage tone shifts. Yeah. <laughs> like, no other show in the world. So I'm not saying this is the best show in the world, but tone shifts... <laughs> We fucking ace though. I don't. I, 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 I challenge you to find a better show at going between a woman crying through a Rumi poem into you are a pussy. You won't find one. Uh, do we have a question? Can I quickly, quickly, quickly? There's just one one sentence I just really wanted to say. Yes. One sentence, two sentences. It's about Dust, the show that I'm doing, and I've just suddenly realised that I've been glib about it for the duration of this but what I haven't actually said is that the reason I made the show is because I really don't 
think suicide is the answer. And I know that's a very sort of sweeping statement to make and seems also sort of kind of obvious, but I can't make the show for people who have passed. I can make the show for you and for people struggling. And I think a really important thing is that mental health is on a spectrum, uh, but suicide isn't. Suicide is binary. And once that is crossed, you can't come back. I've seen various um, shows and films that are pitched at young, vulnerable people that really irresponsibly handle mental health and the depictions of mental health. And I think it is really important to remember that a decision like, um, like suicide, it is, it's forever, guys. The way it's depicted on TV, the idea that you would then get to enjoy or observe that feeling and so dust was specifically depicted that way so dust is an antidote to that yeah so dust is very much was very much made as an antidote to that and I really want to say thank you for writing that and putting that into the world because I feel like in the last couple of years my life and the life of people I love and the life of people I know uh, has been so affected by suicide and as you say it's binary and it isn't the answer. And the more that we can be talking about that, have dialogue about that, have people connect to that idea, the better. Because God, does suicide destroy lives? It really, really wrecks families and people apart. So it's a brave piece of art to put in the world, especially to allow your family to see it. But it is so important. And please go and see it if you can. And don't worry, we will have fun. Like, you will laugh. I know, I know that does, I, that's, no, no, but that's you, mad, but, but you will. because it, It's important in any art, there's got to be levity. I just thought, sadness. what's the point? Like, it's something I really care about. I really want to say, what is the point of asking people to sit there for an hour with the bleakest thing in the world when we've all got bleak, like, mm-hmm. it's, it feels like an Arctic tundra inside my head most of the time. Like, yeah. we might as well have a laugh. So it's, it's, yeah, well, the best things have levity in them. Can we please have one question? Yes, please, thank you. There's three questions. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not so much of a question, but I'm a feminist and a clinical psychologist, and I want woo, uh, <laughs> uh, and I wanted to thank you for your courage and sharing your stories because I know it's very hard in a world where stigma is very real. So thank you for that. But I guess I also just wanted to highlight that kind of the context and the world that we live in is really uh, an important factor in contributing to emotional distress. Um, and I don't use the term mental illness because, for various reasons. And gender inequality plays a massive role in that, and women are more likely to attempt suicide and more likely to get certain mental health diagnoses because they're quite feminised. And, yeah, and I just wanted to highlight that there's lots of people there out there who think that their mental health issue is a fault in them or it's something wrong with them or that they're mad, but I just wanted to highlight that often it's a a result of their life circumstances. For men too, you know, men are more absolutely. likely to commit suicide than women and absolutely. because the, the patriarchal forces which force them to suppress all their emotions and like I was saying about that show that released all that trauma in me because it was a safe time for me to do that so I cried about it on a train. A man might feel he cannot sit on a train and cry in public and I mean I've probably felt I shouldn't but I did anyway because I wasn't told not to cry as a child Um, can you just pass the mic over so we've got a question from there what was your question a year ago pretty much today I called my local uh, mental health service um, and said I think I'm I'm losing it and went through an hour's conversation with a man 
about an abusive relationship and things that were happening in other areas of my life and was told I wasn't ill enough to receive help. And he said, do you want to do the questions again to raise your score so you can, can get the help? And I said, I'm not going to paint by numbers with my mental health. And then I had a breakdown just before Christmas and should have been signed off work, but because of the stigma, I just kept going. And then yesterday I had another breakdown um, having just been on, put on antidepressants and tranquilizers and sleeping tablets. And today I got signed off by my doctor um, for like two months and reviewing it. It feels great because finally I've got the time to, to do the work that I know I need to do. But then I said to my doctor, what can I do about getting the therapy and the help that I need to talk this out because I've been harboring this for a year? And she said, oh, there's a, there's, there'll be a waiting list and I can't afford therapy. And... I just think that we need to find a way to make the way that we treat mental health preventative rather than reactive because if a year ago today someone down that phone had listened to me when I knew I was going to be in a bad place, had said, right, let's get you the help so we put a stopper on this and now I'm in a position where I've been signed off work so I can't do my job anymore, I'm on lots of medication and now I'm not really sure where to go. So what can we do to change that? What governments do not or they refuse to understand is if you invest in mental health, you invest in your economy, you invest in society, you invest in work productivity, you invest in happier people, you invest in people that want to contribute to society. Physically it makes no people. fucking sense. It has a huge effect on, on physical, physical health. There was a book put out called Thrive and it talked all about this initiative of training uh, psychologists and doctors in CBT and they... They'd conducted extensive studies and it had been agreed nationally that they would put this in place and then because there was conservative governments came in and then funding changes. So there was all these really great results and I'm sure the clinical psychologists can back this up. There was really good results with CBT and with medication and then they all just got slowly whittled down so now people have to travel 600 miles to get therapy. It is nuts. I don't know what we do. I am furious about it and it is, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It makes me want to throw this microphone stand. I mean, one thing I will say because this is something that it makes my blood boil, this idea of things being preventative. And, I mean, it's happened to me, it's happened to a few of my friends where we sought help. We were told we weren't sick enough because the waiting lists were too long. And then we turned up a year later when we were very seriously ill. And then you're in a very dangerous place. And I don't have any practical tips because it was something that, I suppose, through luck and circumstance that waiting list happened to clear. However, what I will say is that this is the one place that I have found social media to be excellent. It is something that I'm very vocal about. People need to still be vocal about. And also Mind do an online service on a lot of therapies starting to move online. It might not be for everyone. And again, it is like dating, but it is still, it, it is something. And I think... I worry that more money will get siphoned off there and that will be thought of as a full stop point on that. So it is something that if you lend your voice to it as much as you can, that is something that's always appreciated. We need to, in the spirit of the suffragettes this year, we were talking about this the other night, the victories you can make to change policy. Do you know what we need the to most down radical there. idea was in this book? that it had never occurred to me before, that it is government's job to ensure a happy society. A happy 
society. And that, uh, that had never occurred to me. For we're me, it was of, always survival. We're one of the few nations that don't record our happiness. Well, for <laughs> obvious reasons. Yes. I mean, well, no, but that, and, and, but that's insane. You probably turn it down anyway. You don't yeah. want to see too happy. No, you don't no, want to glow. No. No. We don't record our sunshine levels either, mate. No, we're doing you know, just fine. Thank you. Yeah, like, yeah. But yeah. Like, it's a I heat think wave. that's mad. That, you know, a happiness scale is something that's a very real thing in a lot mm. of countries. And it's used to measure prosperity and, and as a general indicator of how well we're all doing. And so we need to ask Westminster and we do need to just go and I think we're more people, more of us go and need to go and talk to our MPs and go, yeah. this is what's happening. Uh, we need to solve it. We also need to end the show. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Felicity Ward, and our very special guest, Billy Thomas. The recording engineer was Grundy Lizembra. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selitsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Tony and Hannah at PBJ Live and everyone at the Vault Festival, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Listen, you don't. I, I no. I, I can see the aesthetic of a hot Jesus and not necessarily have to <laughs> want to cross that particular Red Sea. That is so close to a period metaphor. That is. Tell me you didn't think that. You're like, okay, they're, they're fucking on their period. That's what they're doing. Are there... She's fucking Jesus on her period. <laughs> Are there any theologians in who understand the mixed references? Thank you, uh, in the front row. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Red Sea, what's wrong with, what's wrong with what I just said? Nothing, it was a biblical reference. A biblical reference, of but course it's a biblical to the, reference. to the, thank you, Old Testament, Jesus is New Testament. What should I have said? What should I have said? Sea of Galilee, thank you. No, you know what you should have said? You know what you should have said? Oh, this feels like objectifying a man and we're in a meeting. Let's close this message down. Please do one of yours. Today on The Guilty Feminist, you've heard from Felicity Ward, who has two episodes on Channel 4, which you can access if you have all four. The episodes are called Anxious, and they are about Dr Maggie Wentworth, played by Felicity Ward, a 30-year-old dentist who's trying to keep her shit together, while her anxiety, who she calls Beryl, played by Morgana Robinson plays the voice in her head that keeps her up at night. Check this out on all four and ask Channel 4 for more episodes. And also, Millie Thomas's play Dust, which you heard about, is playing from now till the 17th of March 2018 at Soho Theatre, and I'm sure it will tour other places too. So book now for that at Soho Theatre or watch out for it coming near you. Yusuf and Amina still need our help, so please go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on Help Yusuf and Amina, friends of ours who are refugees in Austria who are currently in a desperate situation. They'd appreciate whatever you can give. And if there's anybody in Austria who knows an immigration lawyer or knows anybody there who is able to help, please get them to get in touch at guiltyfeminist at gmail.com. If you would like to crowdfund Suffragedon, which you can hear on the Suffragette Centenary Special episode part one, then please go to Guilty Feminist and click on our Kickstarter there or put Suffragetten into Kickstarter. We really, really need your help. This is a wonderful project. Women of colour are taking over the story of suffragettes and making it their own. And then we will be touring that and making videos and an album, especially to access young people who might feel disenfranchised from the voting process. We'd love to have your help with that. So please go to Kickstarter Suffragetten and chip in if you can. See you next week. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com